0: Well, good morning, everyone. In case we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is uh, Josh Mutter. I'm the lead pastor here at West Heights, and it is a privilege to be together here this morning. You know, this morning, I want to just pause before we go into our time of prayer, and I just want to make a couple acknowledgments, and and that is that Christmas can be hard for many of us and is going to be hard for many of us. You know, for some of us, while we want to be filled with that holiday cheer and and that joy, we're having a hard time because we can't help but remember those who, whom we've loved and those who we've lost, and that's hard. For others of us, this season brings up memories of other losses that have been painful. The loss of relationships, the loss of trust, the loss of jobs, the loss of health, the loss of maybe our faith, the loss of joy. We're struggling with this being a season of loss. And for others of us, we might not be feeling lost per se, but what would be good is for us to acknowledge that as we're going into this week where we're supposed to feel happy and joyful, that we're carrying a lot of stuff with us. We are bringing burdens with us into our celebration of this season. And so this morning, as we begin our time by praying, I'm inviting us to remember that the Christmas story begins with abandonment, insecurity, and humility— And it's into this experience of what we might call darkness that the God who is love shows up and brings his life and his promise of of peace and comfort and joy. And so as we prepare for Christmas, we're going to include this in our time of prayer here this morning. And let me just say, if you are somebody who's struggling this morning, we see you. You are a part of us. We love you. Christmas is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging that for some of us, this Christmas season we are, is hard. We're entering this season feeling tired and in turmoil and in pain. As the nights have grown longer, so has the darkness grown and it's wrapped itself around our hearts. And so in this season, we ask for your healing touch to be upon all that we carry in our hearts for the sorrow we fear will never end, and for the wounds that we can't even put into words. Lord Jesus, this morning we ask that in your mercy that you would hear our prayers. Lord, there are some among us who are grieving over what might have been. Death or loss or terrible hurt has changed how we experience this Christmas season. We remember that Christmas once felt special and hopeful, But someone or something precious has gone away from us in this life. We've lost a loved one. We've lost a hope, a dream, a purpose for getting up in the morning. And we find ourselves adrift and alone. Lord, we're tired. And we've found no room in the inn. And so we come to you seeking rest and peace and shelter from the storm. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would give us what we need to comfort those around us this Christmas season. We ask that you shelter and sustain us who wander or weep or carry heavy burdens, that we may be lifted up, encouraged to carry on. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in this season, we embrace and give to you all that used to be, which is now lost to us and cannot be ours again. With celebrations all around us, memories of what was and fears about what may be weigh on our hearts. Lord, we ask that you hold us close, that you would be near to us in this season of darkness until your light comes. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in this season, we also acknowledge those who are suffering in places of war and conflict. We pray especially for those in Gaza. Our hearts break at the human cost of this war, and we wonder how you can let this go on. And so, Lord, we ask for a softening of hearts and for peace to come quickly. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, in this season, we ask that you would stay close to those who are struggling, that you would tend to the sick, that you would give rest to the weary, you would bless the dying, soothe the suffering, give your compassion to the afflicted. Lord, that you would protect the joyful and the joyous, all in the name of your love. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Just before we proceed, there's an email that will be going at about 1 o'clock this afternoon. Um, for those of us who are carrying the, the conflict in Palestine and Gaza heavy in our hearts, there's a letter that came out from MCC this, this, just this weekend that we are sharing that has a few things that maybe you might want to, you know, as we sit around and say, what are we supposed to do, there's a few calls to action in that letter, and that will be in your inbox uh, this afternoon. And if you aren't receiving our emails, there is still time between now and one o'clock to sign up for our emails. You can do that. If not, email me and I'll forward it to you later on this week too. That's okay. This fall, uh, our family, we started some new routines with both of our kids being involved in different sports. Usually they've been involved in the same thing. This fall, they went in different directions and that's okay. And you know, it's been a lot of fun. And it's been fun for us to watch them play these things. And Michelle and I have both been around team sports for most of our lives. And so we actually really appreciate the things that team sports can do and how it can build into kids in some really special ways. But one sport that neither of us really have known personally is hockey. And Silas has chosen, after a whole year of telling us about it, that he wants to play hockey. And although the playing of hockey is going relatively well, there's a sense that as parents that we sometimes feel like we're on the outside looking in on this whole hockey thing. And some of us know what we're talking about. There's a hockey thing. See, some of, some of the kids that we're with, they, they've been playing hockey for a, a few years now. And some of the parents that we get to interact with regularly have been involved with, with hockey for a long time, a lot longer than we have. And you can tell when you enter the room who's more comfortable in that space, and who's more comfortable with the attitudes and the demands of the sport, and which of us are still trying to figure out what is going on. And while I doubt that my son really picks up on any of this, there's a part of me that wonders if we actually belong to this hockey thing, and if we, as a result, if we will have the same positive experience that other people seem to be having. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it's just hockey. It really is. But that feeling that we might be on the outside looking in uh, or, or those questions about whether or not we might experience the same good things that we see other people experiencing, we might experience that in other areas of our life as well too. We might have that experience at work or we might have that experience at school or in various social situations or maybe in our families even. We might even experience it in a faith community like this one. And on the topic of faith and spirituality, there are some of us here who have concluded that we're on the outside looking in, and you know what, that's just going to be the way that it is. Because in our minds, we've come to the conclusion that we're not good enough, and God wouldn't want anything to do with us. And for some of us, the reason why we feel this way is that we've had people speaking into our lives who have made it very clear that we're not good enough either by the things that they've said or their attitudes and actions towards us. And so, as a result, we have internalized this belief that God is not for us. He might be for other people, but he's not for me. This morning, the big idea that we're exploring is that the Christmas story reveals God's inclusive love. And that this inclusive love is for you, it's for me, and as we're going to see this morning, this inclusive love meets us where we, are, where we are and as we are, and it invites us to follow Jesus. It invites us to pursue that love and to become a part of it. And so to guide our time this morning, we're going to look at, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be, read the part of the, uh, the Christmas story where the shepherds get to hear the good news of Jesus being born. And so Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and we're going to be reading through, through to verse 18. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all those who heard it were amazed by what the shepherds said to them. You know, if somebody were asked to create a communication strategy to announce Jesus' birth, it's extremely doubtful that they would have started with, the announce, with, with making that announcement to somebody like the, with people like the shepherds, to people like the shepherds. See, at best, the shepherds represented the average person. These were people with little, if any, influence. They were humble. They were working-class people. They were the average Joe, so to speak. Now, at worst, the shepherds had a bad reputation. They did. They they were looked down upon and were considered unreliable members of society by many folks. And to top it off, their line of work kept them from observing a lot of the ceremonial laws uh, that were important to religious folks. And so all of this is to say that that if somebody wanted to come up with a good PR strategy for getting the news of Jesus' birth out there the best way possible, you could have found better folks than these shepherds. But in God's story, these shepherds get this news first. And as we think about this, we see God sending messengers. He's sending angels directly to the place where these shepherds were. There they were, in the fields, watching their flocks by night. And here they are told the news that every good religious person had been waiting for and been trying to figure out. They are the first ones to hear the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. See, for generations, God's people had been longing for, for the time when someone would come to rescue people from sin and somebody would, God would send somebody who would set the world right again. And people had dedicated their lives to searching the scriptures to try to figure out how and when this would happen, and they created whole systems of of rules and behavior so that they could be ready for when that time finally came, and yet it's these shepherds who are just minding their business, doing their shepherd thing, who get the news first. And this right here shows us that God's love finds us where we are, as we are. And it's not that they just get the news first, by the way. They are actually the first people to be invited to go and to see what the fuss is all about. To go see the baby that is God's Messiah. And while the depiction of baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger certainly tells us something about what kind of Messiah Jesus would be, it also has a pretty significant piece of function behind it. See, it's the signal of how they would find Jesus. In Bethlehem that night, there were likely a couple other newborn babies whose mothers had taken the time to wrap them tightly in cloths at night. But how many of them would have be lying in a manger? And so it served the purpose of helping them find Jesus by saying, when you see him, you'll know him. You'll know him when you see him, guys. And you're going to see him, you're going to recognize him because in a sense, he looks like you. He's there sleeping among the animals just like you were. Remember, we just woke you up from your sleep. You were sleeping with your animals. Here's newborn baby Jesus. He's like you. You'll know know him when you see him. And this reminds us of God's heart for people, particularly those who might be on the outside looking in. And this right here would be a constant part of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it often seems that Jesus went out of his way to be with the average person, and he shied away from those folks who might have had a a high opinion of themselves. In fact, when Jesus begins his ministry, Mark tells us about a time when he was sharing a meal with people who had a poor reputation, and the religious leaders of his day couldn't figure out why on earth Jesus would do that. And Jesus replies by saying, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in this statement, Jesus is being critical of these folks who are acting like they have their lives all figured out and that they are more morally superior to other people. And Jesus is saying, you know those people you're looking down on? These are the people who have God's heart. And this emphasis continues throughout Jesus' ministry as he develops a reputation for not doing what good people should do. Instead, by the company he keeps, he's accused of being a drunk, a glutton, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he's accused of these things by people who think that they know what's best. And this all starts at his birth. With these shepherds who are on the outside looking in, but God goes to them and he brings his message of love to these folks exactly where they are, exactly how they are. He brings it right to them. You know, for some of us, we can envision good things happening to others, but we really do struggle to envision them happening to ourselves, for us. And this can be true because, well, we know ourselves so well, don't we? You know, we know the thoughts that we entertain that nobody else does. We know the regrets that we carry and the, and the things that we wish we'd done differently. We might even find ourselves looking at other people who seemingly have their lives together and think, well, if I was just a little bit more like them, then maybe I could expect something good in my life. Or maybe we think this way because over the years, others have told us stories about how we're not good enough. And this is translated again into a belief that God wouldn't want anything to do with somebody like us. And if that represents any of us this morning, I would invite us to see ourselves as the shepherds in the Christmas story, that God has come to be with us where we are as we are, that his love is for us. Now, for others of us, we need to recognize that the way that we think about others isn't reflective of God's heart. In fact, if we were willing to do some internal work this morning, we might see that in our thought life, we are withholding the possibility uh, that God would give good things or that God would want to connect with some people for a variety of reasons. I mean, there would have been people in Jesus' day who would have looked at the shepherds and they would have withheld the possibility that God would have wanted anything to do with them. And we might find ourselves doing the same. Perhaps it has to do with age Perhaps it has to do with race, perhaps it has to do with social standing, or gender, or sexuality, or theological beliefs. You know, if we are not careful, we can uh, assemble a rationale for why those people aren't as deserving of God's good love and God's blessing. Why they should be on the outside of what God is doing. And this story really should challenge us. Instead, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he makes, makes the point of acknowledging where he's been far from perfect in his story. And he does this not as an expression of uh, having a poor self-esteem, but it's an honest assessment of, of who he is and recognizing that despite his position of influence, and he has a position of influence as he writes this, that he is not any more worthy of God's blessing than anybody else. And Paul writes this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And I think Paul wears that statement, I am the worst, like a badge of honor. Because he's the worst, he gets to experience God's inclusive love. You know, the fact that the shepherds were the first to hear about Jesus ought to help keep things in perspective for us. That God's heart is, is for those who could be easily seen or understood as being outsiders. And this means you, and it means me, and it means the person that we struggle to have good thoughts about. In our family, we are big fans of breakfast. Specifically, brunch. Brunch is a meal in our household that, that, that everybody will eat and everybody will eat the same thing, okay? Which means it's a wonderful thing. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were on vacation uh, with some friends and they broke out some amazing hash browns. And uh, these things were delicious and they were really easy to make. And so we asked, you know, where did you get it from? And they, they brought out the container, that they, uh, the container and they told us all about them and how you made them. And not wanting to forget it, what did I do? Is I pulled out my phone and I took a picture of it, right? Now, just the fact that I took a picture of it doesn't mean I'm going to remember it, does it? Because I can't tell you how many, th- how many pictures of random items I have on my phone that a year later I'm like, why did I take a picture of that? At one point I said, I, that's important. But over time, sometimes I forget. It, be, it stops being as important as maybe I thought it was. You know, here's the thing. It is one, it is one thing to be told some good news. But it's another thing to actually do something about it, isn't there? In the case of this, these shepherds, they had this amazing experience hearing the angels tell them about this angel being born. And the question is, what are, you, what are they going to do with it? I mean, they could have concluded that it was some sort of mass delusion and, uh, and talked themselves out of that moment, couldn't they? But they didn't do that. Or they could have said, you know what, it's late. Let's hold off on doing anything about this till the morning. And then when they woke up in the morning, they, maybe they went and saw Jesus, maybe they didn't. But they didn't do that either. Instead, there's something about this moment that makes the shepherds feel compelled to go and see for themselves. In fact, as we read this, we should be reading that there's a sense of urgency in their response. We need to go now. We, we've heard this, we've seen this, we need to go figure out what this is all about, and we need to go do it now. And I think we, I think we need to appreciate just how compelled they were. Again, remember, they didn't exactly get a precise address here, did they? I mean, all they got to work, work with was there's a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and yes, lying in a manger. But how many wrong doors do you think that they went to that night? Maybe a few. You know, the instructions were to narrow it down a bit, but here's the thing. They had to go looking to find Jesus. And so here's another thought for us to chew on. You know, God's love is, is an invitation to a journey for us. You know, when we reflect, when we, sorry, when we have a moment where God has gotten our, our, our attention and has revealed himself to us in some way, there's a real sense that we have to do something about that in response. But here's the thing, God doesn't force himself on us. Instead, he invites us on a journey to move towards him, to pursue him. And you know what, we're probably not going to get it right the first time. We may even find ourselves knocking on some wrong doors along the way. But God's love is an invitation to pursue him, to take steps towards him, to find him, to explore him for ourselves. And so this is why here at West Heights we talk about finding and following Jesus. Because we believe that what we are called to is not a destination. It's not a one-off prayer that we, that we say. It's not, it's not affirming a, a specific statement of faith even. But it's about knowing and following Jesus each and every day, taking his, his life and his teachings and seeking to figure out how does that apply to my life now. And the thing is, God wants to be found. The shepherds in our story were willing to put in, it, it, put in the effort to go and find Jesus. And do you know what? They found him. They found him right where he would be. He wasn't a moving target. Jesus was right there waiting for them. And this morning, I want to remind us that Jesus is right there waiting for us, too. Now, at the risk of building up those hash browns a little bit more than I should have, uh, I'm going to talk about them a little bit more. Uh, You're going to go talk to Michelle. Michelle's going to be like, they're okay. (laughs) you know, what has happened as a result of, the, uh, as a result is we went and we found, they were from Costco, so you had to buy a case like this big. And, and we, we've had these hash browns and we've used them. And, and in fact, you know, there's been times where I've told people myself about these hash browns like I'm doing right now. Uh, I, I'm trying right now to think about whether Michelle does, but that's probably just me. You know, I so enjoy them that if you're like, hey, Josh, you know a good ha- where to get a good hash brown for at home? I can tell you. Okay, I might even have a picture still on my phone. But, I mean, this is what we do, don't we? You know, when we have had a good experience at, uh, at a restaurant or we see a good movie or we have a fantastic family vacation, we tell people about it, don't we? Now, does this mean that we are experts? You know, are these objectively the greatest hash browns on the planet? No, they're not. I think they are, but you won't. But I, I can tell you, though, what I can tell you is from my own experience, what, I, what, I, what my own experience has been. In our passage this morning, these shepherds have had an amazing experience, and as a result of this amazing experience, their natural response seems to be that they become some of the first evangelists of Jesus. As they go and they just tell people what they saw, what they'd heard, and what they'd experienced. And those who heard them were amazed. You know, some translations say that they were astonished. Others say that they responded with wonder. Some say that they marveled. And you know what? Well, I'm sure that there were some folks who were kind of skeptical about what the shepherds said, the way that Luke tells this story gets at the idea that what these, the testimony of these shepherds were making people wonder if what they were saying was actually true. I mean, what if God was actually doing something? What if God actually showed up? And I think that this is a good thing to keep in mind because, you know what, our experience of God's love ought to invite others to wonder for themselves. And again, remember who's giving this testimony, by the way. These are not people who are are necessarily good communicators. These are not religious scholars who can back up their experience with chapter and verse. These are not people with a huge level of influence. These are just normal people telling their normal story, or maybe it's a little more than normal story, but they're telling their own story. Now, getting back to what we started with this morning, you know, some of us are keenly aware that we are nobody special. In fact, our our, our experience is often that we feel like we're on the outside looking in, and as a result, we might find ourselves thinking, hey, you know, well, it's a great idea that somebody should be telling people about Jesus, but that shouldn't be me. And we think this because, you know, we have these thoughts that say, you know, I don't know enough. Or, I sin too much. Or, my family's a mess. Like, I can't tell people about Jesus with the state of my family right now. Or, I have way too many questions. Or, I'm just scared. And all of these things form reasons why we might not be able to feel like we can share Jesus with others. But what if, think about this for a moment. What if what people need is for somebody like you and like me to share our experience because they are like us too. What if what people need is for somebody like you and like me to share our experience because they feel like us too? You know, as much as the shepherds were looked down on, there would have been some folks who identified with them. They would have said, these are my people. And I think, in fact, as I was thinking about this this week, I'm realizing that the shepherds, who, who did the shepherds tell about Jesus? Well, it was likely their peers, it was folks who were like them, people who were in their social circle. It was people, these are the people who heard first about what Jesus did. It's unlikely that the shepherds went back and went to the temple authorities and were like, you wouldn't believe what we just experienced. No, they went home to their friends and their family and they told them. Likewise, you and I have a circle of people that we are connected with people whom we have things in common with, people that we spend time together, people that we do things together, people that we have shared experiences with. And in many cases, these are the people who who really actually just appreciate us and they appreciate our company and they're like us. And what they need to see and what they need to hear is about how Jesus is relevant to somebody like them and they're gonna see that through somebody like us. And so this forms a challenge for us. You know, how are those in our circles being invited to wonder through us? Being able to, what if God is actually alive? What if Jesus actually cares about me? What, what if? How are those in our circles being invited to wonder through us? And I know, I know this is scary. I know some of you are sitting, sitting here thinking because I'd be doing the exact same thing. This is a nice idea, but I ain't doing this. So let me, make, let me give us a simple next step here. On Saturday and Sunday are our Christmas Eve services. S- uh, Saturday, 6 p.m., Sunday, 3 and 6 p.m., please make note of those times. But there are Christmas, our Christmas Eve services. And there is something culturally that still exists for many people that would make it so that inviting a neighbor or a coworker or a family member to a service like this uh, is much more natural than inviting them to a gathering like we're having this morning. I think your neighbors, my neighbors, are more likely to show up at Christmas Eve than they are at any other point in time. And so why don't we each try to invite one person to come with us to our Christmas Eve service? One person to come with us to our Christmas Eve service. And let me tell you a little bit about this service so you know what to expect. It's not a preachy, ser- preachy service. I get two time slots. The grand total is seven minutes, okay? That's what I got, okay? It is not preachy. There'll be lots of carols that everybody knows, it will be candles, there'll be fire, okay? You can advertise it with fire if you want, okay? There's <laughs> fire at our Christmas Eve service. There's also like people walking around with fire extinguishers to make sure it doesn't go crazy, but don't tell them about that. Um, but it'll be, a f- it's, a f- it's an hour. It's a tight, it's, it's an hour or a little bit less. It's a nice, easy, friendly service experience. And in that, they will hear, uh, they'll hear the Christmas story read. They'll hear us sing about the hope and joy that we have as followers of Jesus, that Jesus ha- it, 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 it is inviting other people to enjoy for themselves. And in this experience, they might start to wonder, what if this could be for me? What if what I see in my friend who just invited me along here could be a part of my life too? Let's think about this, that this week. We've got a few days ahead of us. Who can we invite to join us, to invite them to, and in the process, maybe they'll start to wonder if this is for them. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, for the opportunity to sing and to, to worship you and to get our hearts and our minds focused on, on Christmas and the reason for this season, Lord. We acknowledge that there's a lot going on right now. There are, um, there are things that we need to prepare for. There's gifts we need to buy. We need to get our house clean. We need to be ready to host and figure out how we're going to have awkward conversations with family members and people we're not sure about. And God, that can cause stress. And in all of this, Lord, we just ask that you would just help us to put that aside so that we can see you. Lord, that we would see you in your love, that we would experience that, Lord. And then God, in this, Lord, that we would would take a step closer to you in pursuing who you are and your love for us, Lord, and we would get to be a part of sharing that with others this season. Lord, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for this season, for everything that it, brings, it, it brings with it, Lord. And we are looking forward and asking that you would catch, help us to catch us a glimpse of, of you in all of this, Lord. Thank you. In your name we pray, amen.